Ladies and gentlemen, this is Drew Pearson. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a space ship in Washington. The Army has taken every precaution to meet any emergency which may develop. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Hello and welcome to the sophomore effort of the Film Ireland podcast, the podcast that is so intensely unreliable and unconcrete at the moment that they won't allow us uh, stop saying the number that of podcasts we are in until the 31st yeah. and a half to one. <laughs> I want to see if you, do you want to take a sophomore effort at saying the word Ireland there? Ireland? Film Ireland? Film all right Ireland. there. Sorry, I've just been living in, in in American movies all week far too much. Yeah, so we're yeah. Hollywood whores this week, it's all. Yeah, yeah, we've got no domestic news. I'm Donica Tiernan. I'm Rory Moore. And uh, we're going to be talking some movies with you for the next, uh, however long it they edit us down to. There'll probably be an excess of five hours sitting in this dusty basement right about now. Yeah, but was... Presumably it'll be a more comfortable 50 minute listen for you. <laughs> Uh, all right then, uh, let's kick right into it. We're going to start off with a bit of mo- uh, movie news. I'm going to bring something to the table which I think particularly sad and tragic, and that is that um, Edgar Wright is off the directing seat for what would be the first movie in, in uh, Marvel's third phase, um, Ant-Man. titled. Um, all, already cast with Michael Douglas and uh, Paul Rudd. And I'm particularly sickened about this. I mean, like, they're still going to use the script that he's written with Adam Buxton. Um, Adam Buxton, of the, if you do, haven't listened to Adam and, Adam and Joe Cornish's uh, BBC podcasts, they're truly hilarious. Adam uh, Buxton's first film, uh, sorry, Joe Cornish's first film, his, his radio partner was The Brilliant Attack the Block. They wrote the script together. Wright was going to direct it. It went through seven phases. He's been on board since 2005. He came on board the same time John Favreau did for Iron Man 1 so he's been on board with these guys for a while pretty much since Shaun of the Dead uh, since he did Shaun of the Dead so yeah. I'm kind of sickened to see this uh, him depart I would have loved to seen his take on this yeah I mean when you say they're using the same script I think the heart of the issue was Marvel took a script and edited it which I, I'd imagine they do for every single film like they, they give the writer or director Edward back Norton's Incredible Hulk really yeah. withdrew his name from the and screenwriting what happened. Yeah. but um, yeah so so when you say Edgar Wright's script I'd imagine it was it was um, what they did to his script that, that kind of spurred this but I say what they did as if it's a big travesty I mean yeah, I'd say it was like, like the we're, we're saying are you still using his script they're saying well, do you still want the money yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, real I'm, sickener though. But and it if it, it kind of shows the the direction that Marvel might have changed since uh, since they first started this. I don't know. See, my whole thing about Edgar Wright was um, Marvel have been getting a whole lot of praise lately in in recent years, and for good reason for kind of the creative freedom that the people they put in charge have. But Edgar Wright was a different ball game in a sense. Joss Whedon was someone who. As you, like as we saw with the Avengers, kind of did the formula they want as well as it can be done while giving it its own little twist. Whereas Edgar Wright, I think, would have been a different kind of film. I, I'm sick and I won't get to see it. I was Ooh. genuinely looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. But I can also understand the decision. I think it was um, is it John Gunn doing Guardians of the Galaxy? That's um, right, yeah. James yeah. Gunn. James Gunn. God damn it! Should have gone with Gun. Like we were friends Blast or something. Blasphemy illegal in Ireland. We're yeah. careful. God damn it. Okay, apologies. And this is Guardians oh, of no, the but, Galaxy, damn it. But that's right, we are actually in Ireland, so blasphemize away. Yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. We've we've annexed this tiny basement, so it's fine. Um <laughs> yeah, uh, he he came out basically saying um James Gunn came out basically saying that it's kind of like when two friends of yours are in a relationship and split up and you love them both equally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the sense of it being that he's going to go on and do something else now. I'm perfectly happy to see that with Ant-Man I don't know. I never had the hugest hopes for it. Edgar Wright added to it, but we'll see. You see, for me, like I've read a lot of comic books featuring Ant Man, but never a solo vehicle. He's he always makes for a great despicable side character in the Marvel universe because he's either helpful or evil, or sometimes weirdly sexy. He he does get quite a few women. (laughs) Well, he can enlarge at will. Yeah, this is true. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. But uh, yeah, no, um. I was very interested to see what Edgar Wright was doing with this because the the thought like there are so many more uh, pit stops in the Marvel universe I'd make before Ant Man. 
Yeah. And they were chucking quite a bit of budget at it. Paul Rudd, Michael Douglas. I mean, of course, you have to take into account that the very best characters in the Marvel Universe, Marvel Studios, aren't within a hair's length yeah, of yeah, yeah. We'll get ever to that again. Yeah, I'm, uh, I would have liked to see what he'd done. Now he's going to go back. No, he's gonna. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, everything Edgar Wright has done so far has been a very original pro- uh, product. I know Scott Pilgrim was based on something else, but those were black and white comics. I mean, he really brought something to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would have liked to have seen him play within this you know slightly tight slightly loose framework more practically getting more news on this story this week though was Joss Whedon who yeah. uh, who he kind of uh, saluted Edgar Wright's departure um, which the internet has now torn apart and dissected way beyond its means it's essentially um, it, it's funny and it's cool and it's a nice tribute uh, Joss Whedon posted a, a picture to Twitter um, with just his head bowed rather melancholy and uh, holding up a cornetto so obviously, that uh, of course a reference to the Cornetto. Yeah, trilogy. I mean, you're not a tr- you're not a true geek unless you don't have to mention it's a reference. God, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm just banking on the fact that there are beyond true geeks listening to this podcast People right now. And I know it's wishful do. thinking. I know it's wishful thinking. But still, just to explain that the, the we reference there, sorry, Rory. If you haven't forgotten, I spoke first in this week's podcast, which pretty much means I'm in charge of you. Okay, okay, all right, all Is right. Is that why you're wearing the whip and the leather chaps? <laughs> I happen to like it. Yeah. I, yeah, when your voice gets too far from the microphone, yeah, I'll give you a little electric stuff, whatever. <laughs> Lovely. Um, next up, a bit of news in your court. Yeah, we had um, Blade Runner. New, new news on a Blade Runner sequel, which is you know only a few decades later, um, that it's been offered, to, formerly offered to Harrison Ford. It's been kind of batting around for years and years and years. But and about a year ago, he said he would definitely take one. Yeah, and there was no response from the studio. Now the studio have come back saying, oh, well, if he'd like to take it. It's kind of like asking, like when you're a teenager and your friends ask, will you kiss my friend? Oh, yeah. No, kiss me. <laughs> Hold on, I will report back to my friend and see, will he kiss you? Yeah, yeah. I think these two met together one time and there was passion and fury. <laughs> Maybe are, we, are we carrying the teenager shifting analogy? I'm, I'm working with the metaphor. Okay, okay, okay. All right, but you know, maybe that was it. Maybe they should have best left it off. Maybe like, I mean, they were slightly tipsy at the time. It was the '80s. The world was slightly tipsy yeah, at the time. Yeah. Maybe if they get back together, one of them will have bad breath or the, their teeth will click. Now, that's enough of the metaphor. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> we got that out of the way. No, I, I, was, I was delighted when I first read it because it's one of my all-time favourite movies. Very uniquely, I know no one else likes that film at all in the world. Um, <laughs> but... The more I've been thinking about, the less I like What's it. What's your favourite cut? What's the 99 one? It's basically... Um, Director's cut. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the internal monologue, but... Um, That's the original cut, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I favour a lot of them. I, I, I hold with the theory that Deckard wasn't an android, if that if that makes any difference to you. And that's another strange thing, actually, because Ridley Scott has always come out saying he was, and um, Harrison Ford has said that's not how he yeah, played that it, that's my not how he liked it. But I think that there's a nice little uh, filmmaking jazz working going on there that Harrison Ford was actively not playing him as an android. Yeah. Deckard was active, yeah, active yeah. yeah. There's, there's nice. You can definitely read into it that way. Yeah, yeah, there's nice uh, meta-chemistry going yeah. on there. But the, but the point being that I was excited when I first saw it, but the more I think of it, the more I'm kind of like, it's best to leave, not just well enough, leave fantastic on its own, alone you know mm. it doesn't need to be done again it doesn't need to be I think it's the kind of film that has inspired so much tonally and so much in the same genre that it doesn't need to follow on in the same universe it's and done they're, enough they're really working hard to get people excited about this one because they've brought on the original uh, screenwriter Hampton Hampton uh, Fancher who literally has done one film since yeah. he, he's acted in a whole bunch of things quite regularly but he has done nothing of note. Has written nothing else that we've that we've, ever, know of, that yeah. we've ever really heard of. And yeah, in, and mainly, I think they've done this to try and uh, cover up the fact that uh, he's writing with Michael Green, whose most famous screenwriting credit to date is that of um, that of Michael Campbell's Green Lantern Tobacco, which is just a true turkey. Yeah. Um. In the optimum sense of the word, I'm not. I'm not. I hated that movie. I 
and I maybe because I was so excited about it, the idea of wide branching, wide galaxy sci-fi like Guardians of the Galaxy's yeah. kind of approach. It just it was that's a total the thing. Turkey, as I, far I think as it was DC's like DC tried to do it first. What Guardians of the Galaxy is, I presume, going to do where it just opens up the universe beyond heroes who are grounded in reality to just anything goes. And yeah, it wasn't handled well with Green Lantern at all. So so uh, Poker Face is off. Blade Runner sequel looking more than likely to happen Ridley Scott has long said that he'd be on board to direct this what are you re- do you want to see this it's it's like my feeling with the the Star Wars films I'm not going to sit in a in a theater mm. watching the opening credits on something from the Blade Runner universe or the Star Wars universe and not be stupidly excited but I am I am cynical about it you see that's the thing I'm not I'm not going to be stupidly excited going into the Star Wars film I'll I'll be go- and the Blade, Blade Runner 2 I will um, um, Blade Runnerist I think is the working title Blade Runnerer the third yeah. one yeah. Blade, <laughs> Blade Ran yeah. um, but I think I, I will be going into these with a sense of obligation like like you know, I mean, no, you have to go to mass. It's it's your grandfather's anniversary. Fine, um, I. <laughs> Who's making you go to this? Probably me. The, but, no, uh, the the fact that there's a new Star Wars or Blade Runner, yeah. you'll have to have an opinion on this. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like when I say excited, excited for Star Wars, more wary for Blade Runner, but I'm still gonna be there on the first night it's out. Oh yeah, no, I'm gonna be at the press screening too. Yeah, yeah. And what are you talking about? And uh, which is sure to be embargoed. Oh, absolutely! You'll get yeah, guaranteed yeah. this. This will be embargoed. So, um, uh, that, that in mind, are there any like film sequels that like you you films that you have loads of sequels that you think should have never gotten any? Um, either being of the vein that we pretend the sequels never happened, or just wish they didn't. Uh, yeah, there's a fair few actually. Because well, when we were when we were um considering this question earlier and we're saying um are there sequels that you wish you'd seen to standalone films um naturally the negative list has come out longer the mm. one of, of, of <laughs> sequels i rambo didn't exist. i would have been happy if they just left it because yeah. for rambo first blood is quite good uh but that's the thing i don't mind that it's more i'm talking about sequels that the film they even tarnish the original film um the matrix is a big one for me yeah uh pirates of the caribbean didn't yeah. need sequels I'll uh, agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to see an Avatar sequel. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Well, no, when I say I wasn't a huge fan of it, like, I, 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 I got over what I enjoyed about it very quickly and I don't see that being recaptured in a sequel. I really do. I really want to see an Avatar okay. sequel. I, the, for all, I hate the fact that I have to say I'm an Avatar apologist because it's the highest grossing film of all time. But That means nothing. For all, no, means for, uh, for all the faults that uh, people find in Avatar, I... I just I love the I love the the world building I love the 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 visual detail the extravagance of it I yeah. I genuinely it's the it's the cocaine kicks of the filmmaking that I get off on I I really <laughs> I it's not an original story there uh, and the characters are largely caricatures except for Signor, Sigourney Weaver's character who I thought was quite interesting mm-hmm. like Courage is like apparently he's going to be back in the other ones you know raising more theories to the fact that he's a clone but I I think just with little hints of things like unobtainium, like stuff like that. I think James Cameron in the screenwriting was really sort of hinting that he was self-aware in that, certainly with the screenwriting, he wasn't getting it much new. But the visual extravagance, I loved. And I want to see, can they impress me one more time? Because you can't deny it wasn't massively visually impressive. Oh, absolutely. Like that first scene where um, they float out of the zero gravity. Yeah, yeah that, oh, that first fantastic. 3D moment, yeah, you're yeah, just yeah. like, wow, I'm in there. But this is it. The, the foliage was coming at me. This is the thing, though. I mean, we're, we're probably going to go on about IMAX later, but uh, the visual spectacle will, will last for me for maybe 20 minutes. No, for Avatar, it lasts for the whole three hours. Mm. It was fantastic. But I, I went to see it again and I hated it. So I don't know. I need something more than visual spectacle unless that can be stepped up to the level that my eyes begin to bleed sequels that you'd like to see um yeah again this was a shorter list but i would love to see a sequel to the incredibles which we're apparently going to get oh yeah that's right i would that I, I would be very much on board for that and i don't know if you remember i think it was paul mcguigan's push not so much a sequel i'd like to see that done again because it was it was hitting yeah. at something that i enjoyed and it didn't quite get there and i'd love to see it done again so am i actually calling for a reboot three or four years later of something that's not even a franchise could be could be um uh, there's a, cyn- a very cynical side of my brain that would like to see a uh, um, pick a sequel to the absolute uh, Doug Lyman turkey that was a uh, jumper. In the um, same vein as Push, I think. Except Push I'd is like better. to see a Born sequel that made up for Born Legacy. Personally, I'd like to see that sort of deleted. Mm-hmm. But I've um, you see, I've a f- I've a, I've a few of these that are like 
would kind of well, first of all I'm looking forward to the Prometheus sequel I do want to see wh- where they go with the new writers um, but there are sort of offbeat ones that I'm kind of going off on my imagination like I'd love to see a short film sequel to the Big Lebowski yeah. <laughs> where they just bowl and drink at the bowling alley and like it's nearly it's, it's, it's a tripod shot in my mind it's nearly like a security camera just that we know we're still they're still in Los yeah, Angeles they're still around. They're doing, and we can see them significantly aged I'd like that what's, what's your optimum amount of dude mentioned in that short film how many times can they get it into the 15 minutes presumably oh I I, I, I don't even I don't even want to hear sound Okay. I want it to be like you know that moment at the end of Shawshank Redemption where they hug and they zoom out because that's their moment yeah yeah I want that I want, just leave them to it it's fine yeah, 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 I, yeah. but I want constant clicking of, of bowling balls against bowling yeah. like psh, the, the noise of strikes I'd also like to see a sequel to um, David O. Russell's masterpiece Three Kings mainly to see because they get away with some uh, some gold at the end of that and I would like to see. Uh, I would like to see how they live up their various lives. Who stays in the military? I thought that instantly. I because I was very young, and naive when I first saw that. I actually snuck in to see it in the Empire Movieplex in Ennis, and uh, shocking. Yeah, I they wouldn't allow me in. So I, I, I you know, at that, that age, like I was looking forward to the Mummy Mummy Returns for Christ's sake. I really, really wanted yeah. to see sequels to things. Actually, the Mummy Returns is a sequel I will not touch because I enjoyed it so much the first time. Oh God, it's oh, I, that was one of my eye-opening experiences. Youth in the cinema, I was just like, like you know, when you're a kid and you like everything. Yeah, I was one of the first few movies. The very first one I still remember it was the Keenan and Kel vehicle, Good Burger. Um, I I was willing to let my critical thinking take over because I really wanted to like the Mummy Returns, but yeah. I was like, this is awful. No, I, I quite you had the real it. rock at the start of the movie, and then you presented us with a computer CGI game rock. rock again. Yeah, that was awful stuff. Yeah, I, I'd imagine if I rewatched that, that would go on the pile of ones that didn't need a sequel. But yeah. um, even though I love I love that movie a lot yeah. and made a lot of money. I reckon blah, blah blah blah. Yeah, but I reckon Three Kings could go the route of. Um, I mean, if you did see the sequel, it'd be like Del Boy winning the lottery. It's like no, I I, I rather <laughs> I don't need yeah. to see that. Just to mention, actually, sequels. I happen to be uh, of the uh, of the theory, and I'd like to be the first person to say this officially on air. These two things. First of all, the Fargo television show is better than the film Fargo. I'm a huge fan of uh, the, the film, and also, I'm relatively sure that we're in sequel territory with that I think where that's going to go I think eventually it's going to relate back to the original story of the Fargo film and watch this space because I said it first okay well I haven't seen it yet so I can't say it's fantastic you should really give that a a bash uh, Um, and on the tail end of news Channing Tatum is going to be the new Gambit in a possibly standalone film which excuses Taylor Kish from um, the travesty that was Wolf- X-Men Wolverine yeah, Origins Taylor subtitle Kish. why bother Taylor Kish uh, and uh, considering we're talking about sequels that uh, we wish never happened Taylor Kish is part of just two movies that I wish never happened full stop and that would be X- X-Men Wolverine Origins and of course the woeful John Carter oh yeah and on a, a final bit of news there lads uh, particularly in, in terms of Irish film Ken Loach's latest Irish feature and to be his last day uh, fictional feature film full stop Jimmy's Hall is uh, out today on the day of uh, broadcast of this which is uh, Friday and there will be a Film Ireland interview of the stars Barry Ward and uh, Simone Kirby to that extent Jimmy's Hall being the story of Jimmy Galtron the only Irish citizen in history forced into into exile as an expat because of his uh, socialist beliefs and eventually returned home to open up his dance hall in Leitrim and that concludes off our news for this week lads um, next up we've got um, the homework section which uh, this week we had um, we had sort of just way out there low key science fiction yeah um, I'm gonna kick Rory off on this one see how he enjoyed what I gave him was uh, the original classic would you believe it was made in 1954 was it 1951 1951 classic The Day the Earth Stood Still directed by uh, Robert Wise and written by Edmund H. North excellent let's give this a blast yeah um, I was I'm always wary about kind of going back to like 50s 60s sci-fi because usually adapted from a short story that's better usually struggling in my IMAX spoiled um kind of days to get over lack of effects and mm. meh effects but about 20 minutes into this one I was entirely on board really really enjoyed it very intelligently written um, it's I, I'd say it probably I'd need to go back and verify but I'd say it's probably 
the first and if not one of the earliest best uses of the whole uh, globe trotting news clip opening to sci-fi films where it explains yeah. the premise it's done very very well um and you get a sense of kind of scale of the world that uh, basically yeah, i suppose i should go through the story first um for any of you that have seen the remake just uh you know listen up because this one's better um it's about basically an an alien spaceship lands on earth and the army surround it it lands in washington i believe in the army surround the spaceship best place to land surely yeah naturally you're not gonna land in, land in beijing are you to, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah an alien emerges um with a message for earth and um yeah essentially he he has to go on the run because uh we don't respond well to people telling us what to do, mm. essentially. Um, yeah, it's very. It, it's it was obviously mid nineteen fifty one, so it's bound up like the Cold War theme is just seeps out of it. Um, oh, it's all it's all about the Cold War, the arms yeah, race. Yeah, it's, it's it's this alien Clatu uh, from an unnamed planet that um arrives on Earth to essentially tell us that if uh, humanity, presumably, it's the Galactic Mensa. Yeah, something like this. They're tall and intelligent looking. I'm sure if you measured their cranium, it would come back with a good result. It was that kind of that that kind of um actor. It's essentially this, uh, the alien Klaatu comes to Earth to warn us that if we don't curb our warfaring ways, um, our new development of atomic weapons, uh, if we don't put it towards something more constructive than blowing the shit out of one another, then other planets will have to take note, and it will not end well for Earth. Essentially, yeah, really good uh, intelligent script. It's kind of the concept you don't see that often anymore where it's really, really simplistic and it feels no need to explain too much. There's no cynicism to it. Absolutely not. Which no. is very nice. Um, and yeah, yeah, you have like, there, there's a young um, a young boy in it who's kind of our, I suppose, our way in with Klaatu. He, he, he forms a friendship with this young boy who, and the young boy is never, his name is Bobby, but he's never, no one ever speaks about him as Bobby. It's always little Bobby. Mm. you know yeah it's proper it's kind of it's it's the america that jj abrams was trying to capture with super eight that kind of society yeah. yeah really 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 enjoyed it it has some interesting kind of sociological aspects that cypher just doesn't do anymore very good yeah well uh my rory's homework which was a complete curveball for me this week was uh the 19 1985 new zealand sci-fi uh post-apocalyptic drama called the quiet earth now I really enjoyed this to an extent. What I enjoyed about it just far... And why I enjoyed it just far outweighs the rest of what, what I did not enjoy. Essentially, this, this film, uh, 1985, was uh, written uh, written by um, Craig Harrison, who also wrote the novel, and a guy called Bill Bear, and written, directed by a guy called uh, Jeff Murphy. Jeff Murphy, who went on to do the likes of Young Guns 2... Uh, and also was second unit director on the Lord of the Rings films, and he also was second unit director on none other than Irish star vehicle for Irish superstar Pierce Brosnan, Dante's Peak. That's right. But he started off with some something very ambitious. I gotta say, this takes its directions, his its influences very directly from the likes of the Omega Man and I Am Legend. It starts off with a character um, named Zach, who's uh, he finds himself completely stranded, all alone on Earth. Um, after attempting to commit suicide um, and uh, then he banters around the place and sees the for about the first 40 odd minutes of the film sees the world as completely empty uh, now it's, he is brilliantly played by a guy called Bruno Lawrenson who I had never really seen before but is a dead ringer for uh, Red out of Saved by the Bell not Saved by the Bell that's 72 uh, or the mean dad in everything and essentially th- that part of the film is brilliant. Um, what is like slow descent into madness. Over when he just thinks he's the only person on the earth, he goes around in a satin nightgown, uh, gets cardboard cutouts of uh, of like famous people, like Madonna and Hitler all standing in front of the presidential uh, house in New Zealand and makes speeches to them. Like my very favourite part of this now is where he's just speeding around the country on a train driving the train I thought that was brilliant yeah that was wonderful and there's a brilliant moment as well where he um, he kicks his way into a church it's kind of towards the end of his just spiral down oh, the yeah, it's yeah. when he's wearing the nightgown and he kicks open the door of a church and comes in with a shotgun and starts puts it up to the cross yeah screaming it? out for God to appear and he points the gun at Jesus and says come out or the kid gets it it's fantastic that part of the film is brilliant um, it, it goes a bit 80s Australian film quiche I know it's not an Australian film in that, um, first of all, there are two or three sex scenes that just feel very obligatory that are done with just very schmaltzy synth music. Mm. 
but the, basically it revolves around them trying to find out uh, what is happening um, and now we're, the special effects weren't quite there for this one and so it's only really alluded to the the, uh, the fabric of reality is falling apart and, and it's something to do with the experiments that Zach's company was uh, was um, were conducting so they try to get to the bottom of this and it's very eerie people get, start to turn against uh, one another as things do in a post-apocalyptic setting and it ends on a complete curveball again now as if you're a fan of sci-fi, you should really give this one a go because yeah. it, it certainly in the way it's approached, it's a real, real original. There wasn't a studio over this one, so they had a lot of freedom to to go mad at the start. Literally, they go they go bananas, and uh, it's all the better for it. The last hour gets uh, the last half hour in particular gets a bit slow, but it reminded me of the better science fiction works that I've read, the likes of Ubik or an awful lot of Philip K. Dick's short stories where. The, the reality of what try, they're trying to express is so out there and mad that they can't really express it so well. Yeah. So it, a, a lot is alluded to. And that I quite like. So fan of sci-fi, I thoroughly recommend yeah. The Quieter. And now we move on to what you've all been waiting for, I'm sure. Um, or fast-forwarding to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is our review section. Now we've got a, st- a couple of things that... Uh, uh, we've got one thing that we both saw we've got uh, a couple of things that we each saw separately and a couple of things that uh, just I saw that I'll give uh, a couple of just minutes to at the end now first of all the beginning of the week and probably I'm probably still say, making a shit ton of money by the time this goes up I'm, and I'm going to say I'm going to say probably the biggest superhero film this year not not financially but certainly that's what they're going for yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is X-Men Days of Future Past which at last makes a time travel stab at reuniting the cast of both Brian Singer's original franchise and the one kicked off by Matthew Vaughn uh, just last year. Now, I quite like this. Here's where I'm coming from when I say I'm liking it. I really think that they have purposefully dropped the ball on trying to create a separate superhero realm for the movies and they've just given in to the storyline physics and storyline physics and values of co- of comic books and cartoons this, to this regard. Now, what we've got here is this basically what happens. You start off in the Matrix, essentially. The real world from the Matrix, where everything is horrible because there's these sentinels that... These sentinels that hunt down mutants and anyone who might help mutants, right? Yeah. And then a mutant called Kitty Pride, played by Ellen Page, hurtles Wolverine's consciousness back in time... Because with some awful basil exposition, his is the only uh, mind that might bend and not break. He arrives back in the 1970s and it's his job to get the mighty the, the mighty ducks back together, if you will. With uh, young Charles and uh, young Eric, vis-a-vis Professor X and Magneto. And uh, try and stop Jennifer Lawrence's shape-shifting mutant Mystique from assassinating Peter Dinklage's Bolivar Trask. In a hope to stop the chain reaction of events that leads to this horrible dark future. We've got we've got an awful lot of the story beats you're expecting. We've got guest appearances from quite a few mutants, but the direction they take that is quite different from, let's say, the likes of Avengers Assemble, where they try to really you know balance out character pacing, and that is that they give the characters moments and spectacle, and leave it off. And there's very only core arcs for the core mutants that we're supposed to care about, essentially. And th- there's bare three, max four, that are allowed to sort of, allowed to attempt to carry the plot emotionally and everybody else is just there for a sideshow and to help out. Yeah. Now, this film, the meat of it, I'll say, I reckon, are the set pieces, which I thought for a film that I counted seven in the film in entirety, um, and I, all, I enjoyed all of them quite a bit. The set pieces are carried off very well. Brian Singer shoots good action. He does, and uh, I enjoyed the pacing for what's in it. I wasn't bored for a second, and uh, overall, I thought it was a welcome return to form for this franchise. I thought this color palette was kind of experimented, but not successfully with X Men um, First Class, which I thought was fun but quite messy. Whereas here, I just thought this was action, action, color, flash, bang, go, go, go. I was entertained start to finish, quite frankly. Yeah, I I think we're like our fundamental disagreement on this is that you're talking about set pieces being the meat of it, and the set pieces are absolutely fantastic. Like the, one of the probably the stand what will be the standout moment of the film certainly and of, of the year um, is Quicksilver's uh, 
any moment he's on screen essentially but he has one the one, obligatory breaking Magneto out of yeah, yeah, yeah. film yeah, it's yeah fantastic I, yeah I suppose for, for something that has it's actually better than the awesome breakout of Magneto from uh, X-Men 2 which yeah. is just terrific Iron and the Blood but yeah, uh, yeah uh, again my, my, my biggest issue with this is that um, when you have a cast that can include James McAvoy Michael Fassbender Ian McKellen Patrick Stewart Hugh Jackman you know you could go on ad nauseum set pieces shouldn't be the meat of this film now they're certainly a part of it it's a superhero flick it's okay it's not summer but it's essentially your summer popcorn movie and I get what you're saying when it kind of adopts and celebrates the colour palette and just the tone of comics but what it lacked for me is what comics does best is introduces a character and i i mean the appeal of this is seeing eric and xavier in the infancy of their relationship Hold on introducing character what characters from this film needed to be introduced well we had a xavier that was completely completely different from any and other he was kind introduced of introduced quite adequately he was but he was the only one to get an arc we also had a magneto who went from a moment there's there's one moment between him and Xavier on the aeroplane where there's some kind of conflict and the rest of it he just he froths at the mouth just enough that it's okay okay he's the villain now he's wearing a cape and the helmet and there just weren't any where did he get the cape yeah <laughs> he has them stored somewhere I'm sure no what I wanted I suppose was I wanted more history for uh, how, how to say this without getting convoluted I wanted more history for the past 10 years have passed between now between um Days of Future Past and First Class for Xavier, for young Xavier and, and young Eric. And I don't feel like, it's not that it needed to be explored more, but I didn't feel the weight of that. It could have happened two minutes after the last film. And See, I, the reason I, I kind of liked it and was definitely okay with it, with that lack of history, is because I thought, yeah, fair enough, there have been very successful comic book movies, excursions into movies by the comic book world. But this one, quite also like The Amazing Spider-Man, just saw the need to open and close on a status quo and that's the way comic book arcs work uh, yeah and, I'd argue and I, I was and I was I was fine with it for that reason I'd, if, I'd... if these were new characters that I had never heard of before I wouldn't have dug it at all the, the cynical side of me says this, this is all this is all to do with, with, with financials they're not really just saying let's do it like comic books they're saying these films have established enough of an audience we don't need to waste any more time yeah. on, on exposition but really that's the way comics are. Yeah, but uh, like, let, let's not, you know, uh, let's cut to the chase on this. This film is, it's a sequel to First Class and it's a, it's an apology for The Last Stand and it's an effort yeah. to kind of breathe life into possibly two more franchises. I know there's Which another I'm, one. I like, wow. I, not to go into the ending, we won't go into the yeah, ending, yeah. but I'm excited for where they go next. A- with absolutely. Um, there's, so. there's, I suppose, well, yeah. I do hope, I'd love to see someone besides Brian Singer directed. I'd love to see Matthew Vaughn direct Brian Singer's cast yeah well my my issue with Matthew Vaughan is I did enjoy First Class but some of the clunkier bits that you mentioned that you didn't enjoy and I'd be the same um, I think a lot of them come from Matthew Vaughan despite the fact that he's a great director I don't I think, think it was rushed I think the, the, the I think the screenwriting process was it was all made shot and uh, edited together in like seven months was it yeah something like that it was definitely less than a year anyway and um, he was actually set up to do the sequel but no I, I think it was a good choice to bring, bring Brian Singer back What where, where it broke down for me is that everything was there I would have enjoyed a better writing I suppose and mm. it's not that the writing lacked in any aspect again I, I've seen this twice now I'd probably see it again and I'd still enjoy the bits that I enjoy But I've seen it twice too yeah Yeah, basically just go back go back to it again set pieces shouldn't form the meat of um, a, a story with those characters that cast and I also, again, there's no point in going into it on detail um, for a superhero film and also just not to be spoilery, but I shouldn't be looking at glaring plot holes in an X-Men movie if it's, if, if it's, if it's written properly. But again... Actually, one of the plot holes that you addressed with me beforehand, I actually, it wasn't a plot hole, uh, so, but I can't say it on the air. Okay, we can, argue about, we can argue about this afterwards. We can argue about this afterwards. I've been thinking about and it too. A little, <laughs> shout out, a little shout out to... Uh, why did I say that? To Peter Dinklage. Um, oh. <laughs> worse that you acknowledged it but anyway continue shout out to P- uh, Peter Dinklage who's really really good in this movie I thought, yeah. uh, I thought James McAvoy was very good as well um, I thought yeah, yeah apart from that I mean Hugh Jackman shows up and does his thing uh, Halle Berry doesn't do much but uh, overall yeah I quite like this um, I'm willing to give it a top class recommendation I would I'd, I'd give it a middling. first class recommendation oh though. god I'd give it middling, but it's much like Prometheus, though it wasn't as bad as Prometheus. I can't wait to see where they go next. Okay, cool. Uh, next place I'm going to take you to is uh, to the IMAX to see Godzilla, which I saw last week, which has been out since we had our last podcast. Now, 
Godzilla, does this beast need any introduction? I don't think so. Alright, well I'll let the uh, reptile out the bag then on this one. There are other monsters. This is where they're taking you in this one. This one opens... First of all, I'll give you a bit of backdrop to it. Um, this is was the, is the second film of Monsters is Gareth Edwards. Now, I don't know, did you see Monsters... Uh, 2009 monsters, but it's a it's a terrific film. Gareth Edwards, um, terrific uh, British director, uh, basically shot in his own back for twenty thousand in um, in America, in Central America, about an infected zone. Blah blah blah. Put the special effects together in his basement. It made a little bit of money, but caused quite an international star. Next minute, he knows he's off in America, and he gets offered the reboot chance of Godzilla, massive franchise potential, especially in order to get over old Emmerich's dog ugly, not fun one. Now. What he's done is he's tried to do a bit of a Nolan verse on this, all right? We meet the start Brian Singer's uh, character, in, not Brian Singer, Brian Cranston's character. Right? It's always good to Still have, on the brain. <laughs> always good to have a bit of the Brian Cranston in it. Um, and basically, his family seems bogged down by giant monsters for years. He loses his wife, played by Juliette Binoche, very early in the films. Not a spoiler to give that away. And um, essentially, it's on account of these ra- these monsters, giant monsters, uh, Morguts, to quote the original franchise that are attracted to um, they're attracted to radiation and essentially as it transpires and uh, Ken Matasabi's character seems just so intent on constantly reminding us they're there to restore the balance of nature and Godzilla comes back and, and fights them and there's some good human moments the plot moves along logically there are some annoying moments but I'll tell you something the first before I even go near the rest of this if the option is still there to any listener to see this on IMAX, don't waste any time listening to the rest of this podcast. Get out there because it's a serious IMAX show. There is a pause button. You can use that. <laughs> it is a serious IMAX show. The The sound is just wow. I mean, the, like as well, if you just sit three or four rows from the top at the um, the, 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 the oh not to get away what's the name of the the, the one on Parnell Street uh, Cineworld the Cineworld IMAX just sit three, three four rows from the front and centre and wow they, they do the same Edwards employs an awful lot of the same tricks that um, uh, Guillermo del Toro did with Pacific Rim in that he shoots even the CGI heavy shots from a ground perspective or from an imaginary mounted helicopter just so that you're you're not doing fruit loops around these stupidly big things like in a Michael Bay movie it always feels like a real concrete shot Yeah. Uh, we've also got um, what's his name McGinty uh, Aaron Taylor Johnston playing a marine who's married to Elizabeth Olsen who have a bit of a bit of a uh, some, one of the more typical notes of the movie but I quite like this I don't know how much I would like it on a smaller screen with not as good sound but I quite like this there's human character to the monster Godzilla and to the other ones and the they're not just beasts and that's I think a demonstrable quality that uh, Gareth Edwards might have shown the world in Monsters that he's brought along to this show and if you can see this in IMAX I would recommend it and whatever if you can see it on a large screen yeah go genuinely this 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 is one for the cinema I said the same about Pacific Rim I, I still quite like Pacific Rim who knows how this will hold out but get to see it while you can the IMAX gives films like this better stars in my opinions yeah I, I think um, it's made its money anyway it's getting a sequel it is um, getting a sequel also Gareth Edwards Gareth, Gareth Edwards not um, so he can't have done too bad I just for, for clarification's sake I haven't seen it um, I am very much interested in seeing it so we will see yeah I suppose to, to bash on to you're going to talk to me about my uh, Edge of Tomorrow cool the new Tom Cruise vehicle genuinely genuinely enjoyed this one um it should be out by the time this goes live it will yeah also saw it in imax and definitely added a lot too but but strip away the imax and there's still a lot there to enjoy again for clarifications purpose i'm not the biggest tom cruise fan i was probably going in uh like no film critic should but weighed down by a bit of cynicism but i really really enjoyed it intelligent script um i suppose to give a quick rundown of the plot Basically, we're in a future world at war. Tom Cruise used to run a Demo, few... I have, I, have, I have a bad joke, if you want to say you're not the biggest Tom Cruise fan anymore. Well, well go on. Hit me. Say it again. I, I'm not the big, biggest Tom Cruise fan. Um, well, it's okay. You won't have to worry about a big Tom Cruise. hey <sighs> Anyway, go on. Sorry. Okay. That would be an interesting twist on Godzilla. Um, yeah, so we have uh, Tom Cruise as... Uh, 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 
an officer in a future American army fighting off this um, unknown threat, basically, um, kind of an, an alien life that seems to want to mine the minerals of Earth. We must have the best minerals in the universe. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Tom Cruise is a PR man for the army. He's in charge of campaigns to uh, recruit people, to kind of bolster the war effort and basically make it seem like it's go- going to help a lot better than it is before um, Brendan Gleeson uh, makes a cameo as a general here before uh, oh, his thank goodness g- yeah it's fantastic I thought he'd stopped appearing in everything that's made that's uh, good I'm I glad mean, to hear that there's a certain level of fame you reach where you're allowed to use your bog standard Irish accent and people say yeah he's a general in the American army so what um, <laughs> hey, have, did, like, do you remember in the 1990s when Brendan Gleeson was in everything yeah yeah he's still in everything now but everything. we know who he is it's terrific but yeah anyway we have Tom Cruise is dropped into the uh, a war zone um, basically in another effort to bolster the war effort to, to, to put a positive PR spin on uh, people in the front line in the trenches and he's not happy with this at all he's an absolute coward tries everything he can to weasel his way out of it and is unable to is shipped out and dies within five minutes of landing on the beach only to wake up that morning again um, in handcuffs where he was originally dropped to basically live out the same battle again and again and again not to, not to go into spoiler territory I suppose he, he teams up with Ebley Bloods um, she's called the Angel of Dunkirk for a battle that she would won almost single-handedly in her first day as a soldier and it's revealed that she did this through the ability to restart the day once she dies and try again and get better and better it's kind of Groundhog Day okay. with a sci-fi twist Tom Cruise finds himself with this uh, same ability and kind of has to use it to basically win the war very very good intelligent script really funny it makes use of the repeated day trope without getting mm. um, tiresome um, it draws a lot of draws a lot from other sci-fi influences like there's um a kind of a unit he's placed with that there's a very kind of aliens vibe to them um or starship troopers which i'm a massive fan yeah yeah but but there's that nice kind of um lived in vibe of of, i suppose a soldier platoon that makes it just more relatable and you actually care what happens to him which is a big thing basically the biggest thing about this film for me is that it could have could have gone the route of most third act sci-fi films do um of just blowing shit up and me not giving a crap about character but it, it doesn't it um it really focuses on the relationships in this and to its benefit it's a great film and catch it if you can well i am um, i'm really looking forward to this one anyway yeah i'm it, it, it once again just broadens the range of uh, doug lyman who's uh just got an outrageous cv on him yeah. already like a swingers a born identity and to be honest, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I actually really like that movie. I was just talking about this earlier when I was um, telling someone I was going to see um, Maleficent, which I am. Mm. I'll probably review it in, in another two weeks. But uh, yeah, it's probably the last film that Angelina Jolie was in that I truly enjoyed. It's a great film. That said, I haven't seen Changeling. But anyway. It's very good. Now, before I get on to... Uh, I, I've got one uh, last wish spiel in me. I'm going to talk uh, very briefly about two films playing at the IFI this week. Uh, one of which I will have a review up on the Film Ireland website this week. It's the latest from Roman Polanski. It's called Venus in Fur. Um, it's his second in a row production where it's just him doing a one-act play. Uh, filming it just wonderfully as only Roman Polanski can. This one uh, sees uh, Matthew Almarac as a play director, Thomas team up with uh, Emmanuel Senior who's Polanski's real life wife as an actress auditioning for a part in his play Venus and Furs and eventually I don't know did anybody watch Inside Number 9 but it's episode 5 of that where the Macbeth actors arguing amongst themselves and trying to trump one another and they act out the action of the play backstage it's quite like that because the book Venus and Furs is about essentially a sadomasochist um, just turning to self-loathing by being dominated by a woman um, and that's what happens in this and that's the full circles it turns now to be honest the acting in it is terrific it's madly erotic at times but it does go on too long for a better Roman Polanski theatre ad- adaptation see 2011's Carnage which is absolutely terrific but much more in line that you you should be seeing this week at the IFI is last year's Cannes Grand Prix winner A Touch of Sin this is set around the Chinese New Year it recalls the likes of Ameros Peros and Babel just um, seemingly an anthology of tales that are held together by the one theme of just sudden explosive uh, violence at tried circumstances it really it nearly plays like a post-apocalyptic film just alienation of the individual in a massive world and it's really really something it's shot terrifically the violence is done responsibly but the violence is quite harsh at times I would really really recommend going to see this and playing at the IFI all week just around the corner when we're recording this podcast actually I just came from seeing it there thus my enthusiasm what I also came away from seeing today though is 
Seth MacFarlane's follow-up to Ted, One Million Ways to Die in the West. Now, Rory, I would like you to note the date of this podcast, which is... The uh, 28th of May, 2014. Um, and the time? What's the time? Uh, 25 to 7. 25 to 7, because I'm all this podcast will come out after the embargo that's placed on this till Friday. I'm going to coin this film... One million ways to tell the same shite joke in the West. Uh, this is bloody awful. This is... You take, let's say, Albie Singer from Annie Hall dropped into the Wild West with none of the likeable neurosis or self-loathing, just an arrogant shite in the place of him, played by Seth MacFarlane in a fish-out-of-water story that isn't funny at all. I giggled a tiny bit. At, uh, and it shows a, it, it. The whole film is basically about how westerns are the the western the frontier world that is romanticized in westerns is a horrible place, right? Leaving aside that's that's the reason that why these men work as heroes because it was harsh and there was no law. I I could just be being petty because the, he's trying very unsuccessfully to send up a genre that I love, but that's not the reason at all. This is just a bad film with no good jokes. It's terrible. It just quite often the joke is that people die all the time in the West. Ice dropping on people's heads, just people randomly getting shot in the street or in bars, and he's like, "Yeah, this stuff happens all the time. It's horrible." Oh, he's basically a a, a guy in the frontier town who is modern American cynical just faffing about making fun of everything now, like let's say Liam Neeson's and it's so muddled as well Liam Neeson's character is directly from a Sam Peckinpah western he's violent and clever and whenever he's on the screen without Seth MacFarlane it's actually a scene like nearly from a western except it's not shot with the same sort of grittiness Charlize Theron is just from another film entirely there's so many scenes in this that are just hammered into it like there's a a, 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 they get stoned scene on a cliff which is just just from another movie to be honest there is like a, a, a cameo that it just feels like the film doesn't deserve it could be the best cameo uh, opportunity since Bill Murray appeared in Zombieland but it's just no it's nearly an insult to who appears there uh, he, he's got a few of his other friends in there Ryan Reynolds making an appearance for some reason um, there's like I mean at the start it seems like maybe I'll be able to tolerate this, uh, the slapstick if it, but it's just like no no I won't because it's just it's not slapstick it's just it's just gut punching violence for no reason the sense of humour is of such a low bar that they feel the need to verbally dictate the sex acts that are happening on screen quite often at one point uh, Sarah Silverman's character who's a hooker who won't have sex with her boyfriend just yells out um, oh yeah blank right on my face just, like it's just such lowbrow terrible humour that uh, like I really 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 hope that this doesn't make any money um, genuinely <laughs> I, I, I know it, it will make a certain amount but I hope it doesn't gather any word of mouth because it really doesn't deserve to the one thing that I can possibly take away from this is that this is a, sla- a snack alluded to at the fair sugared butter shavings um, which uh, to be honest, I'd like to kind of try that. Um, but if you'd like to try that also, please try the sugar butter shavings. Steer clear of this. Don't give anybody any money for this. This is not worth you yours. This is a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. The 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 terrible movie jury decision. What's the word? Verdicts at the press <laughs> screenings that I was there. There was a blank silence as I came out, and then I broke the silence in the toilet of the lighthouse cinema by uttering, "What a bag of shit." And then everybody just exploded all over. This is a terrible movie. Um, let's 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 hope it gets the, the thrashing it deserves. Yeah. I haven't seen this one. Um, bad reviews often either send me more eager, to, like make me more eager to see a film or make me avoid it. But I have I have a contender given that I haven't seen um, Any Way to Die in the West for one of the worst films I've seen in a long time, and that's uh, Seth Rogen's and Judd Apatow's um, Bad Neighbors, which I saw last night in um, Cineworld, and yeah, it it, it basically. It sounds feels a bit similar to um, 
I suppose the kind of main character of a million ways to die in the West in that it it's an every man who kind of gets the girl and but this this is after the fact he um he's living in suburbia with his wife they tied up every penny they have in this house and suddenly a frat moves next door they can't afford to move and they have a young daughter who is constantly woken by these parties and is just making their life hell they they kind of feel past it they don't get to go out anymore and it starts off with um Zac Efron's frat house leader kind of on good terms with the family he kind of says you know if there's any trouble let me know come to us first instead of the cops and then there's a night where the party goes on too much they can't get through to Zac Efron's phone and they call the police and cue this big long really drawn out um prank war that um yeah basically you know it's seen the trailer yeah pretty much and and most of the laughs are in the trailer to be honest i expected this i didn't expect it there was a funny laugh a funny line that i saw from a clip in this that i have to interject now by all accounts i've heard nothing but bad reviews but at one point seth rogan does say that he looks like he was constructed in a lab by gay guys yes and that happens about 15 minutes in and i'm kind of like yeah this is this is going well but but it honestly just deteriorates from there it's the kind of um i'm sure there's a, a genre name for it it's been so around so long but you know this kind of improvised humor where i shouldn't be sitting in a theater looking at something saying there had to be a better take than that or it's kind of awkward pause humor that either goes to gross you out or the conversation just yeah. go on too long um it's yeah it's terrible kind people of like have too much respect for just the idea of oh, improvisation yeah. these days without a, be, having someone there who's good at it absolutely because I'd say the example I was going to use for this and one I'm very excited to see the sequel to is that 21 Jump Street where I went in expecting a kind of a by mm. the numbers few laughs which is what I always expect from these films absolutely adored 21 Jump Street and it throws you all over the place with the plot as well yeah it really yeah it doesn't go by formulas I the, the example I always harken back to with good uh, improvisation is actually uh, one of the very few standalone Vince Vaughn films that's I think worth watching is Wedding Crashers I think there's a terrific improvisation yeah. in that film I quite enjoyed the banter exactly. between the boys but I'll tell you what on the subject of bad comedy before we finish up I just think d- definitely don't go see any of these films because if there's a turkey of a film such as I'm sure um, such as a film I saw recently Brick Mansions which is a turkey of a film it's, it's actually nearly worth watching for how bad it is but the worst thing about watching comedy fail is that it's like just being at a, and this is what the this is what a million ways to die is like it's like just being at a dinner party with someone who doesn't realize they're not funny who keeps cracking jokes that could absolutely be the response to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah no with, with bad with, with bad neighbors i'm kind of loath to tell people to go see it so bad it's good kind of way because it's not i don't want to see this make i don't money. think there's a comedy that's so bad it's good that's my point yeah I, yeah it, it kind of is. if you fail at co- like like because i hate the idea that so many people um enter comedy thinking that that's the like that it's the easy thing to do that you take a break with comedy but comedy is the difficult thing to do yeah comedy is the more difficult genre to pull off as far as I'm concerned absolutely and there needs to be more respect for silence and actual acting in comedy I mm. think the thing about Bad Neighbors I was watching me, clips of Peter Sellers this week on YouTube for yeah instance. Well, that's a b- bad comparison because yeah. it's just going to blow it out of the water but no I, I think the main thing about Bad Neighbors for me is that I've seen Seth Rogen speak I've seen almost every member of the cast in anything else everyone in this film is better than the film itself mm. um, is more intelligent Zac Efron say what you will about how he how he kind of came to prominence he is a good actor and I want to see him do in, in more than then just this kind of I don't even know what to call it awkward pause humour gross out humour a woman gets milked and they shout Fuff. about it at length it's well I'll tell you what you I named the film of the week and the last one the film of the week is yours sir I'm going to have to go with Edge of Tomorrow Edge of Tomorrow yeah very good uh, okay well on that note um, I'm going to I'm going to sign off I've had a, a whole lot of fun um, and uh, now just let's go over to that cocktail bar over there we fix ourselves a mojito what do you say yeah I suppose I should put on some pants at some point yeah <laughs> Uh, no, don't, don't put on pants. <laughs> never Just put on pants. Never put on pants. Well, it's it. been a very sci-fi centric week on the podcast. We're sitting in a basement. I feel like I should not be wearing pants. <laughs> All right, uh, we will return very shortly indeed. Again, listen out on the Film Ireland website with the for the interviews with um, the Jimmy Gro- uh, the the Jimmy's Hall uh, leads. Um, and also for our review um, of that of that particular film, which will be coming up uh, in, uh, on the next podcast. In fact, uh, we should be reviewing a whole bunch of things next week. Hopefully, uh, lads, if any have any questions or uh, emails or feedback that you'd like to point out to us via our opinion on films, ways that you might differ, by all means, send them on to Film Ireland. Uh, we have a Twitter account, do we not? Um, yeah. And if you hashtag uh, Film Ireland podcast, that'll get us everything we need to know. Okay, guys, uh, thanks a million. I've been Donegan Tiernan. I've been Rory Moore. 
And it's the Film Ireland podcast. Good luck till next week. Bye-bye now.